Welcome to SnackCast, Snack International's new podcast dedicated to all things snacks. In this forum, you'll hear career conversations with leading industry professionals, as well as insights on how the snack industry is meeting consumers' ever-changing demands for new and nutritious snacks, while still serving up those familiar favorites. I'm your host, Joni Spencer, editor of Baking and Snack Magazine, which also produces Snack World. SnackCast kicks off with a summer-long series devoted to wins, Women in Snacks. WINS is Snack International's initiative to champion leadership development and advancement for female professionals in the snack industry. Over the next few months, we will visit with some of the industry's top executives to learn about their journeys and the challenges they've overcome along the way, as well as get some great advice on how we can work together to make positive changes in the snacking industry. Today, we're talking with Elizabeth Avery, President and CEO of Snack International. Elizabeth, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Joni, it's a pleasure. Thanks for agreeing to be the host uh, or hostess of this new podcast series. It is my honor. This is um, this is pretty cool. I am so excited that Snack, one, started the Winds Network, and two, opened up this forum for us to really learn from leaders in the industry. So on that note, I want to open up by talking about the WINS Network. Can you just kind of walk me through when and why it started? Absolutely. So uh, roll the clock back to 2018 when Jolie Weber, the CEO of Wise Foods, became the chairwoman of the board of directors of Snack International. Jolie was our first, I should, I now it's, look at this, I have to correct myself. Jolie was our second female board chair in the history of the organization. And what's really relevant is that the first uh, female board chair was Robbie Dietrich back in 1997. And it took us 21 years to get from the first chairwoman to the second. Um, and that wasn't because of, discrimination, it was because there were a lack of female leaders in the industry to look to, to um, to chair this industry body. And so Jolie and I talked it through and we said, you know, this is something we really need to focus on during her term as chairwoman. Um, and so we launched the initiative in November of 2018 at our executive leadership forum with uh, the great assistance of Indra Nui, the um, now past chair of the of the board and CEO of PepsiCo. And ever since then, we've been putting together a series of programs to try to advance our mission, which you uh, mentioned at the intro, which is to champion professional development opportunities for female snack industry leaders. And this is the important part, to increase the pipeline of women prepared for executive roles. And the second part of the mission is to promote female leaders by creating opportunities to showcase talent. So recognizing that there are leaders in the, you know, who are up and coming, but, um, you know, we need to like be really intentional about making sure that they have visibility in the industry. Right. I'm glad you mentioned Jolie because I did notice when she became chairwoman that there are not a lot of industry associations that have 
a female CEO and female chair at the same time. So I really want to talk about you for a minute and talk about your background because you have kind of a storied history in the snacking industry outside of the association. You're a veteran, and um, I know it was specifically in government affairs. So can you kind of talk about what some of the challenges were that you had to overcome as a female executive, not only in business, but also working in Washington? Sure. Happy to reflect on my career journey for for a minute. I do feel as though, storied is the right word, because I, I feel like as though I've been very fortunate in my career. I've had a large number of great bosses, most but not all of whom have been male, um, and who really, you know, um, you know, made sure that I had every opportunity to advance. So I've always been appreciative of that. I started out actually in the nonprofit world, uh, working on issues relating to packaging and the environment for Keep America Beautiful in Stanford, Connecticut, and then was moved five years later to Washington to work on environmental issues for the Grocery Manufacturers Association. So I was you know, way into the first five years of my career where I had been actually given some amazing opportunities early on by my first boss, uh, well beyond <laughs> what uh, I probably would have uh, thought was wise, but he, he just had put a lot of trust in me and um, sent me out on the road. But the first person I really worked with in the CPG industry, in the food industry, and by extension, the uh, snack industry, was a woman named Debbie Becker, who was the vice president of environmental affairs for Kraft Foods. And that was back in the late 80s, early 90s. And Debbie was Kraft's first female corporate vice president. I mean, think of a company of that scale um, and and what it meant. And it meant so much to me to be able to, as a young woman at the time, to be able to um, learn from her. We were working day in and day out on some very tough issues, not dissimilar today to today when um, people are questioning the role of packaging and the environment. Um, and then um, fast forward to joining PepsiCo. I was there for about 11 years leading global public policy and government affairs. And about half the time I was headquartered out of the New York office, the, the head, global headquarters for PepsiCo, and half the time in the Washington, D.C. office. And I was you know, incredibly fortunate to, to be able to work um, under the leadership of Indra Nui, um, who is a you know, world-renowned uh, leader, um, and especially as a female CEO. But, you know, I had some, I, I learned some lessons about being a rising woman in the executive ranks um, along the way at different places that I was employed. And I think, you know, one of them was to watch out for being the default administrative person, where, you know, might have the same title, you know, uh, compensation wasn't an issue, you know, responsibility wasn't an issue, but when, um, you know, Things came up that just you know, needed somebody uh, who was going to be detail oriented and would make sure it got done and make sure everybody was taken care of. Um, you know, it seemed like those jobs often would fall to me. And I told this story actually at our executive leadership forum last year that I finally somebody else had to make me aware of it. I was actually a little bit blinded to to that that I just wanted to do a good job. I've always believed in you know you know going above and beyond. Um, and when I realized that there was a pattern and I, I let it play out for a little while, I finally raised my hand and, and named it. 
Um, my boss at the time, he, well, he was a little surprised that I raised it. Um, he acted on it and, and changed the way he divvied out those responsibilities. And I was oh, grateful wow. for that as well. Yeah. You know, um, sometimes it's, it's hard to not fall into that default of the person who's taking the notes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you hear, you know, if you go back to Sheryl Sandberg's uh, lean in book and, you know, you know, being the person that might say, oh, I don't belong at the table and, you know, sitting on the perimeter. And one of the things she urges young women to do who are, you know, who are invited to a meeting, if you're invited to the meeting, take a seat at the table. Do not assume that you um, should be in the back bench. You know, you've got to be wise to your circumstances and, you know, make sure that you really are supposed to be at the table. But, you know, I think all that speaks to, you know, sometimes we can be our own um, worst enemy um, by not having the right expectations for ourselves. Yeah, that's a, that's um, really important to remember. So today, when you look at the industry in talking about gender diversity, how would you say the landscape has changed? Or I guess I should say, has it changed? <laughs> That's a, that's a great question. And we're certainly trying to have an impact on that change um, through wins and, and other means. Let me share a couple of other statistics uh, that we looked to when we were uh, first creating this program and that will be guiding us as sort of informal benchmarks for success. As you know, SNAC has a really successful program at Georgetown University for emerging leaders. It's a two and a half day sort of full immersion professional development program that members of SNAC get to send up to five of their employees to at no additional cost. And when that program kicked off in 2015, 34% of the first class were female executives. Oh, and wow. By, defi by definition, that group is sort of uh, rising middle managers. But interestingly, we we studied the participation of women over the um, ensuing four years, and every year that number rose. So it went from 34 up to like 38 to 42 until just last year when we got to um, 50%. Um, and that was great. Even, even at, the, at the outset, at 34%, I'm pretty pleased with that. And it, to me, it shows that there are, there are women in this industry, women who have been identified by their management as um, high potential, you know, people that they're investing in by sending them to this class. But we compared that to our executive leadership forum. That's our, our senior management meeting that we hold every fall. And it's a, it's a small group most of the attendees are CEOs or C-suite, you know, executives. And when we studied the attendance, gender diversity of the attendance there, what we found was that for the um, starting at looking back to 2015 up through um, 2018, I believe it was, attendance of women was at 13%, basically straight lined, absolutely no movement up or down. And then in the first year, we, as I said, when we launched WINS um, and we put a special program together to launch it at the Executive Leadership Forum, um, uh, female attendance shot up to 23.5%, which was great and gratifying. Um, last year, it slipped back to 19%, but still, you know, uh, without any 
big special effort. We have a WINS panel there, but we didn't go out and recruit women specifically to attend. So, so you know, you know, what what does all that say? It says we're doing great at the um, bringing women into the industry and promoting them, but like exactly what we're seeing with the broader CPG industry, um, there is a point where women stop rising, and you know, there's lots of questions about and studies underway about why that is. And some women do you do you think that the the glass ceiling is still in play? I think there's a lot of things, right? Um, yeah, I think you know, some women take the off ramp for every understandable reason that um, usually the timing coincides with when people are starting to starting their family and or needing to spend more time at home um, to raise their children. I do think there's you know some implicit bias that um, needs to be addressed where people make assumptions about whether women want more responsibility and maybe don't, you know, um, you know, consider them for bigger jobs because they're, they, you know, their managers may think they're just not up for it. And then if women don't self-identify um, that they, that they're looking for more responsibility, then they can stall out at, at a happy middle land and just not, you know, ever fulfill, you know, a broader potential. Um, and believe me, I completely understand that not not every woman and not every man wants to um, get to the C-suite. That there's nothing um, inherently you know negative about that. But what is concerning when you see that that level of um, difference in the numbers, or you know, you know, eighty to eighty-five percent of women are just not getting to the C-suite. That's a big number. Yeah. When you talked about women sort of sidetracking when they start families. Do you know of any sort of programs that companies are doing, specifically snack member companies, um, to help women with re-entry if they do decide to kind of take some time off to focus on their family and then want to get back in without having to go back in at the ground level? I can't cite a specific program to you, but I do know several of our members, um, mostly our larger members, but not just large companies that have internal programs to focus on um, the um, professional development of women, have identified that that reentry program as a top priority. Because there are so many talented women that you know, um, you know, have taken a pause on their career um, to spend time with their families and are looking to come back. And there are so many companies that are looking for, you know, great people to bring in. Um, if we actually, one of our, our colleagues here at Snack International is a case in point who had uh, taken time off when she had children and then her husband had a, a opportunity to accept a, a three-year assignment outside the country. And then when she came back, she hadn't been in the workforce for, uh, you know, five or six years, and we were able to to bring her in, and it's been a it's been a fantastic opportunity to have you know somebody really talented join us that um, we might not have otherwise been able to have recruited into the organization. Oh, that's so cool! Yeah, I actually my I was a member of an expatriate family when I when I was younger, and I had an opportunity to. Um, meet 
women who were older than me who were professionals and executives who made that decision to go overseas mm -hmm. for their husband's careers and had to kind of put their own careers on hold to come back. So it wasn't necessarily a choice that they had planned out, like when you plan to have a family, that sometimes those opportunities just kind of present themselves and you go with the flow. And it's hard to get back in, especially when you're already at middle management or an executive level. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. But that's one of the ways we're seeing things change, right? Um, if, um, that, that definitely was not a trend um, even... I don't know what, five, six years ago. I mean, this is something that is newer and is a great source for companies recruiting and is a great source, I think, of optimism for women's trajectory in the in the workplace. So I I think there are lots of opportunities for women in the snack industry at pretty much every level. And you know, if you if you start at young women coming out of college and looking to start their careers. Um, when you, when you think about who your mentors were, what advice would you give to mentor young women coming into the snack industry or to those middle managers that are at the point where they're going to make the decision if they want to keep climbing the ladder, what advice would you give them? Well, I guess my advice, and it's sort of generic to whether it's snack industry or 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 any other industry, is to is to first of all seek out organizations and managers that will give you as much responsibility as you can possibly manage, um, and to you know you know to use the term lean in again to you know lean really hard into your job and you know do everything that is in your scope of responsibility to the best of your ability and then seek out opportunities to do more. Um, and don't wait for somebody to suggest it to you. Just um, either raise your hand or just identify things that you can be working on as special projects and to take them on. I think that kind of initiative is usually very well rewarded. Um, mm -hmm. And if people aren't just, you know, automatically rewarding it, you know, make sure to document it and to raise it to your, to your manager's attention. Um, because those are the kind of people you want on your team, whether they're men or women, frankly. Um, uh, I just, I think that that's usually, um, uh, is a way to ensure that you get ahead. I've always said, look for the organization, whether it's a function or a department or the overall entity that has, you know, too much work to do and not enough people to do it because then you will be um, blessed with the opportunity of being able to to grow well beyond you know where some people might expect. I mean, my own version of that story is, and I was you know, recruited at the ripe old age of twenty seven um, to to move to Washington to to work for GMA and lead their environmental affairs group. Within three months, I was testifying in front of the house. Energy and Commerce Committee. <laughs> no wow. business wow. doing that, but I happened to be the only one um, who would had any subject matter uh, knowledge on the issue that was being debated, and it was a big issue. Um, and so that takes me to my sort of second little bit of advice, which is I've got 
two different quotes that actually only just today realized that they're both from Roosevelt. One's from Theodore Roosevelt and one is from Franklin Roosevelt. But the Franklin Roosevelt quote that has um, always been in the back of my mind as I was sort of going along my career journey was the only thing you have to fear is fear itself. Um, and for me, that always was just a way of saying, of pushing myself. And, you know, whenever I wanted to hold back or thought I didn't have enough experience to, you know, take on a new responsibility, whatever it might be, testifying or, or you know, running a, a, a team, um, I realized that, you know, it was, it was, the fear was the problem, not um, not the not the actual job or responsibility. So that was one. And the second, which I actually learned in my first couple of years working for Keep America Beautiful, uh, which as a Theodore Roosevelt quote is, the best prize that life has to offer is the chance to work hard at work worth doing. And I, I just can't speak highly enough of that as for me as sort of a life mantra and to really, you know, if you're doing work that you believe is worth doing, um, you know, uh, you'll do it well and you should be rewarded for it. Um, and if you're, if you don't feel that way about whatever work it is that, that is before you and, um, then you really need to look for something else to do so that you can, you know, prosper over the long term. That is such good advice, Elizabeth. I'm I'm over here taking notes for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll, I'll I'll type that up for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, Elizabeth, those are all the questions that I have for you today, and I really appreciate you sitting down and talking to me. I learned a ton, um, and it's so nice to hear about your journey and everything that you've learned. And I think it's important for women at all stages of their careers to hear these kinds of stories. So I really appreciate you sharing yours with us today. Thanks, Joni. It's been fun. Look forward to hearing more of these interviews in the uh, weeks ahead. Definitely. WINS networking and educational sessions are offered annually at SNACS Executive Leadership Forum and Snackspo, and programs are available online throughout the year. These serve as forums for men and women to gather, learn, and exchange ideas and experiences about gender diversity issues in the industry. For more information on how you can get involved, visit Snacks website at www.snacintl.org.